Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, I'm here with Gerard Wood. Now just to start off, Gerard recently published a book called Simplifying Mining Maintenance. So I'm pretty excited about this one because I used to work in mining and and I kind of work adjacent to mining right now. So we're going to talk some shop. Gerard, how are you today? Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So Gerard, you've been working in mining a long time. Do you want to just give us a little breakdown of what you've been doing in mining, some companies who you worked for, and maybe what minerals you were part of extracting? Yeah, well, I've um, had a, a fortunate uh, career in, in that I've been able to to work for the past four, 34 years in mining. Um, where I started out in, in Australia in coal. I did 14 years there and, and worked in uh, from the shop floor um, up through supervisor, planning roles. I think I've been in every position you can have in, in a maintenance department on a mine site. Um, and then I, I went to Indonesia uh, and then in New South Wales, coal. And then I joined BHP's central maintenance improvement group called the Global Maintenance Network. And, and there I was able to get exposed to all of the uh, theories of maintenance, I suppose, you know, and, and reliability and models and things like that. And, and also exposed to other commodities, so manganese, copper, gold, nickel, all of those sorts of um, metalliferous commodities. Uh, I went on from there over to Chile for, for three years, South America, and worked in the, the copper mines for BHP over there, again in a, in a central um, senior maintenance role. Um, and after, after all of that time in central improvement roles, I really felt the need to come back into the line again. So I came back as a maintenance manager again and, and did um, a bit over a year before starting Bluefield. Yeah. And so so right now, obviously, you're the managing director at Bluefield. So what do you guys do at Bluefield? Yeah. So um, we provide services which support the life cycle of equipment. So it's quite a broad range of services, um, but starting from equipment selection and evaluation through to operational readiness. Uh, in our eight years, we've always been doing some form of operational readiness 
um, for different projects around the globe, developing maintenance programs and, and things. And then when the equipment's operating, we help sites uh, get the basics right and and improve reliability. And and really, that's what this book is about: is is helping people get the the basics and the culture right. And um, through that work is is where I I felt the need to to write this book to to um, make a greater influence, I, I suppose, on the industry where you can only work with so many people, right? And um, But the, the, the message needs to get out there about the basics and, and how simple it is to, to focus on culture and it, it frees people up from the administration of process. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like spreading the word is part of the reason why I started this podcast too. So I think we, we think alike in a lot of ways. So I guess let's let's dig into that. So you mentioned basics. Like what are some of the key basics that we need to look at? And, and like I know your experience is directly in mining, but a lot of people listening, we kind of span multiple industries. And and I think this really, from what I've seen, you know, like, like I work now uh, with some mines, but we also do like industrial plants, manufacturing. And I see that it really applies across most of maintenance. So what are the basics that we need to look at? Yeah, that's a good question, Rob. And um, many people, when they talk about the basics, they talk about planning and scheduling. Um, over the years, I've concluded that the basics is first the ability to um, know the condition of that equipment, find the defect or detect the, the conditions which are going to lead to a defect and correct those conditions or correct that defect before it has a chance to become a breakdown or cause more damage. So that to me is the, the fundamental element of, of uh, looking after equipment reliability is being able to, to monitor it, look at it, uh, use condition monitoring, whatever techniques we've got, find things and get them fixed quickly, respond to them when they're small. Now, like you're talking strictly on the condition side, but I mean, like people would argue that without a good planning and scheduling process, you'll never be able to fix stuff with your, like what that you detect in condition monitoring. Yeah, look, I, I get that. Um, you know, that, that people think that without planning and, and scheduling, you never get to, to doing those basics right. But in my experience, I've been to sites that have good equipment reliability and no real planning and, and scheduling systems. And it's just that the people care about the equipment, they know the condition in detail, and they um, they get it fixed, you know. They may not be the most efficient. And uh, I was around before we had planning and scheduling in mining, and, you know, we introduced planning and scheduling and systems. I was one of the first planners and one of the first supervisors to turn on the, the uh, CWMS system and start using it. And it was fantastic. But it helped us improve our efficiency and getting more work done, which had a, a flow and effect to reliability. But we already had great quality work getting done um, because that culture was in place. So um, I think that that culture and, and that focus on quality comes first 
and and that's I call that effectiveness. Efficiency comes after that. So, and it's not like there's they're sequential. There's one comes before the other. You obviously, if you're going to improve, you will also work on improving your planning. But in terms of priority, I, I um, that's what the way I uh, have rationalised it in my mind because I've seen sites with quality execution and good results, good reliability outcomes. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree on the culture side. And, and I, th- I think that's the, that's the key to reliability in general. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so recently, a lot of the things I've been thinking about in terms of reliability has been that, that kind of precision maintenance world. So like ensuring that you know, when you install a bearing that you do it the right way, like aligning your equipment, all that stuff. And and that kind of, to me, it makes a lot of the failures go away. How do, where do you see that standing? Yeah, no, I agree with that, Robin. When I talk about um, quality of work and, and all of those sort of things, quality of execution, I'm talking about precision maintenance. But um, in the mining industry, uh, at least, uh, before we even get to the precision maintenance, if we could just start finding the defects when we're doing our inspections, rather than just checking the boxes, we will move ahead in leaps and bounds, you know, but knowing when you do a replacement of a component that you're doing it to the right standard, you're talking bolts, you're, um, you're putting the right lubrication in right from the start, taking baselines and things. Yeah, that's the stuff that adds the most value to reliability. So when we're talking culture and like getting a quality culture together, where, how do we start building that culture? Yeah, that, that's a great question, you know, and it's probably not, um, it's probably not the same for every particular organization and every site. Um, but one of the, one of the things that I really find is has been the most useful for us um, and our clients that we've worked with is around making that reliability, uh, making that quality um, visible. Um, and a practical example of that is with a site that we worked with some time ago, where they had a, a fleet of um, trucks, uh, three sixty ton Lee Bear trucks. And they'd never ever before achieved a 90% availability on that fleet. And that's where they wanted to get to. So they're at about 84%. So all we did is um, went in and had a look at the, you know, the execution of, of the maintenance and how their current maintenance program was, was being uh, rolled out and made the, the issues that they're having visible. So, and the issues, what I mean by that are things like, they're going out and checking the boxes and saying everything's good, checking the boxes on the PM checklist, that is. And then when you go out and physically look at the machine, you find different. Um, or when you do a service and the service kit comes with some O-rings, you actually replace those O-rings rather than just not do that part of the service, which is all those little things that were happening. And, and these were leading to breakdowns. So we made that visible by taking photos and, and showing uh, the guys there. And then what they did is they put photos of good and bad um, examples of their work on their shift start um, lean board. 
and every morning they would talk about that and and um, talk about where they did a great job and reinforce that culture and talk about where they did a bad job. And, you know, people don't come to work and do a bad job. So when it becomes visible, everyone learns from that. Okay, that's not the acceptable standard here. Uh, and they rapidly improve. So within six months, they're at 90%. And uh, they've been there now for the last uh, nine, 10 months in a row. That's great. I had 90% availability is huge. Um, I guess, I guess one question. So recently we had Michelle uh, Ledette Henley on the podcast to talk about kind of like that culture change and how to build, you know, like external versus internal motivations. And so did you use any external motivations in that culture? So like, are you giving bonuses? Are you doing anything like that? Or was it solely a kind of people to people vision kind of way of building culture? Yeah, no, I heard that episode, um, Rob, it was really good. And and very much uh, I related to that in, internal motivation. You know, every guy comes to work really, um, or 99.999% of the people come to work to do a good job and they want to go home and feel like they've done a good job and feel like they've contributed. So we really engage that part of um, the psyche of people and, and you know, the, set up that, that systems where they can they can feel good because they get recognised for when they've done a good job um, within their peer group, uh, and also there's consequences if um, people are doing a bad job. Um, but but it's not actually um, it's not when I say consequences it's not uh, bashing people for doing a bad job. It's just raising the awareness that that's not our standard as a team. You know we're committed to a good standard and everyone wants to be successful. So um, it's making the consequences that everyone's aware that, you know, that we, we talk about those things openly and honestly and not to bag people or, or put them down, but to to call it out so that as a team we can get better. Yeah, I, th I think that's huge. And I think the openness and just the honesty is just, I mean, it's going to just help people so much. Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess, I guess when we talk about maintenance and mining, like at least where I was at tech, we, a lot of people, I mean, first off, maintenance is a massive part of mining in my opinion. Like there's billions of dollars spent annually on maintenance. Um, and I used to joke that, you know, we, we used to think of maintenance as our core competency instead of like mineral exploration. Like, why do you think there's such a focus on maintenance? And then because we have that focus, why are we still failing at doing it the right way? Yeah, well, um, I think that uh, from, from what I see, mining is about, you know, turning huge amounts of uh, material, processing it into a final product. Um, so th there's a, a lot of work that's done with machines. Um, and geology will always give you the best outcome. You know, if you've got the best geology, you've got the most profitable mine. That's a fact. Um, but where the geology is the same, the differentiator is how efficient you can produce that material 
and that comes down to uh, machine reliability and utilization. So that's where that's why maintenance has such a big focus. Now, why do we get it wrong? Um, maybe it's the the guys that are on the low end of the cost curve with the good geology that still have the opportunity to improve and the ones that aren't uh, often those hard sites you do see that they get their their reliability right through necessity <laughs> yeah it's something that people don't often think of but it like the geology is just so huge in, in the mining game. Like it, you just have a better product or it's easier to get to. Yeah, absolutely. So what are, what are some of the mistakes that like you've been in the game a long time. So what are some of the top mistakes that you've seen that people make in their maintenance programs? Uh, a, a while ago I was walking around a, a plant and I could see, uh, you know, overheating gearboxes and the heat exchangers not working there was leaks um you know brackets missing uh all of these really obvious things to me uh, and i was doing this review of this site and i um you know th and they had a breakdown while i was there so the a, a motor a drive motor on a on a conveyor drive failed and the Fluid coupling was leaking and the gearbox and everything wasn't in a good condition. So the motor had failed internally. So they decided uh, while we're here in this breakdown fashion, we'll change the fluid coupling and, and all that other stuff because it made sense because it wasn't in good condition. So that job didn't go very well because it wasn't planned, right? So they had to get the parts and the parts didn't turn up and all these sort of things happen. So... I'm asking myself, why do, do people think that we, we have to do that in a breakdown fashion, yet we do the inspections of the plant all the time and we're not picking up those oil leaks and we're not, you know, fixing those little things, finding that the heat exchangers that aren't actually working and doing that in a proactive, planned proactive manner. That's a huge mistake and, and why someone externally can come into a site and find those issues is, you know, it shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't be able to. People should know the condition. So I see that as the biggest problem, that the, the standards have become too low. Um, uh, yeah, and they've sort of not, they've lost sight of, of the condition of their equipment, really. And, and like, what do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, there's three reasons why people don't see that. They either, they don't care they don't know or they don't see. And I, I'm sure that, not, like I said, 99.999% of the people care. Um, there might be a little element that they don't know that those conditions lead to breakdowns. So there could be, you know, an education piece there. But also that if you, if you come into a site and you, you sort of, you keep it to the standard you found it, if you know what I mean. So you, you, you don't see all of these things because it's always been like that. So I think that's the issue. Um, you know, the, the, we've got to make these things visible. Um, and, and the other thing I see is um, people focusing on on process too much. You know, and process is important. Don't get me wrong. Um, you've got to have some process so people know who does what and all, all, all those sort of things. But 
uh, at another site, they were implementing a, a defect elimination system and, and part of that system was to have a, a board that showed the people what the focus area was for the month. And the superintendent said he wanted the engineering team to move the board from one spot in the workshop to another spot so that more people would see that the board. And I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute. If the culture was right here, you could put the board on the ceiling and the people would come in and look up on the ceiling because they want to know what is the focus area for this month. So get that culture right and you can put the board anywhere and the process will be whatever it is and people will make it work. So they're the two things that I feel are the biggest mistakes we make. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I think, you know, like I've, I've kind of, I've been talking to a few people about, about that on LinkedIn and it's, it's like, I think the reason, well, one of the reasons why we, we struggle to build culture is, well, we focus on the other stuff is because it's easy, right? So it's easy to put a process in place. It's easy to move the board to whatever the main, the middle of the shop floor, but it's hard to build culture. Yeah, and, and I think that it might be hard to build culture because um, you have to talk about negative things, you know. You have to talk about problems and people don't want to hurt someone else's feeling. But you can talk about negative things and problems without offending people and saying, you know, there's a, there's a culture of mutual accountability. Um, it's, it's no different to a sporting team. You know, if we agree on how we're going to work and what our expected standards are, uh, for delivery for our clients or, or whatever, then there's we agree there's mutual accountability. Like in Bluefield, um, I expect the guys to call me out when I don't get it right, when I don't meet our our standards that we expect for our clients. And I, I think it works too. Like uh, I was listening to a, a podcast with Ray Dalton, one of the most successful hedge funds investors. Uh, and they they run their one of their thesis of their hedge fund is it's called radical honesty, and and I don't know if you've heard of it, but essentially the idea is they have this culture where you say pretty much what you think at all times, and even when they're reviewing a stock, they have uh, like a big TV in the middle of the room, and each person has a dial. It's it's almost like that um, where they used to do those the the like. Uh, surveys sitcom yeah those where you turn the dial to yes or no and it's really interesting and so the one thing he said was after about i think he said it was around three to six months the the people switch from being really anti like anti honesty to like real pro like i guess it's there's a hard transition point where you're not used to like interacting with people in that way no, I think you're right there. A really good point. And I, I know I've seen that in in our company in Bluefield. You know, we have that culture of open and honest um, communication. And when people get it and understand it, it, it's relaxing. You know, it makes coming to work easier and, you know, <laughs> so much more fun. Yeah. And it just like it, one is it's it's difficult to foster that that culture. And then also like, I'm just thinking about like working at a mine site and, and it's just, it needs to be pervasive across the whole, like all the way from the shop floor to the site general manager. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, you need to have that culture everywhere. Although, you know, I, I do, I do believe that um, a maintenance team can have that within their team and get some great results. Uh, even if the rest of the business has got problems, you know, yeah, it's, small teams can still um, hold themselves accountable and, and create a great culture within that team. Absolutely. So I guess like since you're doing it at Bluefield, like if someone's listening and they're, you know, maybe they have a small team themselves, how would you start with like start this like accountable and honest culture? Um, you know, it comes down to firstly agreeing on a, on a, a set of values um, and when we do our, our Bluefield transformation projects um, we create these things with our clients called working agreements and they're really like a set of um, values uh, on how we're going to work together as a team um, and if you put it into a sporting analogy it, uh, like a football team it might be the the, the, the game plan you know how we're going to play the game so you get those agreements in place. These are our values. This is what are important to us. This is how we're going to win the game. Uh, and everyone agrees to that and everyone has their input to that. And then we, we make that visible and we make that real by talking about it every day. So those, um, those working agreements with our clients, um, you know, we make sure that there's a, there's a mechanism for those guys to call it out if they're not living them. Um, and they're, they're visible if they're actually doing what they said they were going to do. So that's the way we've approached it. Um, yeah, and it seems to seems to work. Awesome. If if someone was listening and they're looking at their maintenance program, and maybe they they don't know like really like obviously they're probably not getting ninety percent availability or something like that, and they they kind of want to look at their program more. Uh, where should they start or how do they like how do they understand what their program should look like um look i would start by looking at the at the plant uh if you walk around the plant and really put a critical eye on it is that plant in a condition that's going to is it in a are we maintaining it in a proactive way are we keeping it clean keeping things tight when we do a, a, a weld are we doing it with proper procedure all those sort of things just start there. Just get that done right first. Um, you know, make sure the guys have the tools they need to do the, the job properly. Just start at that point. You know, and and things will evolve from there. But um, from from my perspective, you need a quick turnaround in um, reliability. Focus there first. Yeah, I love that perspective. I, I definitely agree. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can pick up really quickly just having a you know, a couple hour walk around the plant. And even just one thing, one thing I love to do, my favorite thing is to sit in the lunchroom where all the, like all the mechanics or, or millwrights are having their lunch and just listen to what they talk about. And you just, you learn so much so quickly. Yeah. Uh, on one side, uh, we, we did this thing. We, we actually made a broken parts bin, we called it. And any failed part from the machines, the guys, put a tag on it and put it in that bin. And then the next morning, the superintendent would come in and he'd have a look at those parts that were in there and he'd have a look at our PM program, our PM checklist from the prior service and see if uh, we should have picked that up or not. 
and then have a chat to the guys about it at, at the shift start. Really good practical way to get the engagement and and the guys loved it. And, and you know, some of the things that they found, hoses that were failing, hydraulic hoses that were failing that were easily able to be detected. The failure mode was, a, you know, like a, uh, a wear out on a fitting that started weeping first. They had plenty of uh, time to, to pick it up and identify it and stop the breakdown. And yeah, they eliminated all those really quickly. So that was a good practical way that they did it. So were those, when the hose started weeping, that was a visual inspection, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it was easily able to be um, seen during a visual inspection, but only if you can see those defects, right? So they were in the stage where, oh, yeah, that's just a weep. That's, that's okay. That's acceptable. But once they made that visible that and, and it was leading to breakdowns, many of them, then everyone goes, oh, right, okay, that's not acceptable standard. We better start picking that up a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And, and I mean, there's, there's two things to that, right? Like there's an education piece, but there's also that engagement piece where you're coming back to the guys on the shop floor and really working with them to solve the problem. Yeah, and, and and getting their engagement, you know, getting them to own it is is critical in my mind. Uh, there there was a site that um, a, a friend of mine, he was a mine manager, and he told me a story about the VP that came to site, and it was a rainy day, and the VP had been to the mine site next door, and all of their trucks had stopped, and then he came over to this mine site. And their trucks were still operating, but it was raining. The, the trucks had stopped because of the rain. So he, he came to this site and the trucks were still operating. And the VP said to the mine manager, how do you get them to do that? And he said, what do you mean? It, it's up to them when they decide it's not safe and, and to pull up and stop working. And the VP laughed and, and didn't get it. And the mine manager, no, no really, we, that's their decision. When they decide to pull up, it's up to them. They make that decision. And um, he, he, the mine manager told me that for years later. The VP still didn't get it. But that's how the culture was there, that the guys had the power to make that decision themselves. And they will do. They will do a better job than any culture where the supervisor has to tell them when to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> awesome no that's great so i i guess you know we're, we're gonna wrap up soon so um you, like simplifying mining maintenance where can people find the the book where can they buy it uh do you have a website yeah so the the book's actually out on um on amazon uh in hard copy and and in uh kindle uh but they can also purchase it from simplifyingminingmaintenance.com um yeah and certainly uh you know reach out to myself on on linkedin or or however yeah and and you'll be obviously you'll be tagged in all the posts so and i'll put a link to simplifyingminingmaintenance.com in the podcast notes so if you guys are looking for that definitely uh check that out and you know let gerard know that you know how the book was if you once you finish reading it yeah, look, I, I, I don't profess to, to know everything about um, mining maintenance. Um, 
and and the book really is about just sharing my experience uh, with a view to hopefully the industry taking that and and doing some great things with it. And I'd be really happy uh, to to get feedback from people that are interested in this subject as well and and talk more about it. And uh, you know, uh, through talking about things, everyone can move forward. Um, you know, more intelligent they were than they were. Uh, before and uh, I, I learn by talking to people and hearing their stories and continually learning every day. So it'd be really uh, great to to talk to people about their thoughts. Absolutely, I guess you know, Gerard. Can you just give us a summary of you know like the top tips that you have for people? You know, in terms of the ways that they can better their maintenance program. I, I think I I say it all in the book and, and it. There's quite a lot in there, I suppose. But as I said before, engaging the people, um, getting the right culture to start with, um, and then and allowing the people to – setting a culture where you allow the people to succeed, allow the people to do their job and, and, and get outcomes, you know. M- make the processes so that we, we remove roadblocks, um, make it easy for them to do a great job. That, that's the key from my perspective. You know, there's there's other, lots of other detail I could go into around reliability improvement programs and, and tips on that. You know, like um, I, I often see uh, in in reliability or defect elimination programs, we we've made them too complicated as well. But that maybe that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that next time. <laughs> So I guess the last question I have for you, and I like to ask this because I like to see other people's perspective on it, is so where do you see the future of reliability going? You know, like we're we're seeing a lot of artificial intelligence pop up. We're seeing virtual reality pop up. Like in mining specifically, we're seeing autonomous trucking. Um, so where do you see the future going? Yeah, look, uh, all of those technologies, I, I see them being um, harnessed to deliver improvements uh, over the years. Uh, in fact, we've started another business called Reliolytics, which is about analytics for reliability. Um, and uh, our, our goal, we started the business from a research project in which we uh, set out to semi-automate the process of looking at oil samples uh, rather than having oil samples that come back from the lab and then the engineer on site has to read them. And in mining, we see that they don't have time to read them, so they just respond to the red face and sometimes a yellow face. Um, you know, so we wanted to semi-automate that process, and, which was successful. So uh, we've started this business and, you know, using um, AI and big data analytics to – we now can – see exactly what's going on in that oil and uh, recommend the right action to take when, when it's required in a proactive way. So we're seeing samples that come back from the lab that are A samples, but we can see a, a, a disturbing trend or a rate of change issue, and we're picking things up really, really early and, and correcting them before they before they cause damage, you know, before you see metal in, in the oil where, you know, we're keeping all of the proactive measures well. So. I, I really see that that's absolutely going to be embraced more and more and more. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be uh, after my lifetime until we see 
robots doing the maintenance, but because um, even robots break down, right? So, <laughs> uh, but definitely see that that exploding over the next few years. Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty excited about it too. So yeah, I've been doing a little work on, I guess, similar to what you're doing, but been looking at machine learning to to look at oil sample for for fluid life. So that's pretty cool that we've gone down the same path. Excellent. Awesome. So Gerard, other than, you know, like everyone out there, go to simplifyingminingmaintenance.com and obviously connect with Gerard on LinkedIn. Do you have any, are you going to be at any conferences or is there anything else that you want people to check out? Uh, look, I, I don't uh, have any plans at this stage to be at any other conferences, but, um, you know, and, and I, I don't really want people to check anything else. What I really want people to do is, is go out there and challenge themselves today on how we can make what we do simpler, make one little thing simpler today, you know, one of our processes. You know, I have a, have a vision that, at least in, in, in mining, we can, we can be the best. We've got incredibly uh, great um, education processes and training for tradesmen and all those sorts of things um, in place. And we should be able to be uh, a lot better than we are in, in maintenance. Well, that's great. No, um, I don't have anything better to say than that. So you know, Gerard, I want to I want to thank you for coming on, and definitely like looking forward to having you back on to talk about simplifying reliability. But that'll be next time. Yeah, love to do that, Rob. And look, I really appreciate the time to talk to you, and thank you so much. Perfect. And so everyone's still listening. So simplifyingminingmaintenance.com. dot com, make something at your workplace simpler. <laughs>